0: comes from Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour, or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, and will remember their sins no more. The second reading comes from Act two, thirty eight to forty seven. Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. The Fellowship of the Believers And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks.
1: This next song is another song specifically uh, around the covenant. Here I stand forever in your mighty hands. And the chorus goes, um, or the next verse says, I am yours, surrendered wholly to you. You set me in your family, calling me your own. Now I belong to you. All I need is your spirit, your word, and your truth. My deep desire is to know you more. Let us pray. Yes, Lord God, it is our desire to know you more and to declare tonight that we belong to you. That is the point of our covenant, and we celebrate that in that covenant you declare that you belong to us. And so as we hear your message tonight, we pray that your Holy Spirit would enforce those truths in each of our lives, that you would bring home the privilege of being called your own, and that we, Lord, might be able to take what is said, find it useful and relevant in our lives, and hear in it the voice of your Holy Spirit speaking to us, that we may get a message from you that means something to each. In the name of your son jesus christ we pray these things amen to be honest with you if you've had a read through that covenant prayer on the left hand side in my uh, message of the news and notes it is so beautiful covenant services actually almost don't even need a sermon i mean the whole service revolves around this unique moment this beautiful connection this this intimate uh, time between an individual person and god this moment of togetherness and commitment where we say these incredibly significant, wonderfully deep, touching and powerful words to God. It's a moment of scripture where, where the Old Testament reading that Megan read for us becomes real right in this very moment. I will make a new covenant with my people, says God. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Which is why we start off the covenant prayer with those words. I am no longer my own, but yours. I do not belong to myself. I belong to you. And, and we praise God that he says he belongs to us. Just reading those words is powerful uh, as, as we go through the covenant. We commit to him and then we seal that covenant in the sacrament of Holy Communion. Why Holy Communion? Because right from the very beginning in the Old Testament, When a covenant was made, it was sealed in blood. It was sealed in the blood of a sacrifice. They would build an altar. They would kill an animal, and that animal, the the life was seen to be in the blood of that animal, and as it was sacrificed, there was this recognition that this covenant wasn't made lightly, that it cost something to make that covenant. It was costly. And in the New Testament, Christ becomes that sacrifice for us. We no longer build an altar, but we come to an altar where we acknowledge that it was cost, this covenant is costly for Jesus. It costs His life, and in response, we give ours. And so we make our covenants, or we renew our covenants, and we recognize in this moment that it is sealed in the blood of Christ that He has paid uh, the cost for us. And what an incredible um, moment in service it is. This covenant followed by Holy Communion you and God, an intimate, beautiful connection. no sermon is needed. <laughs> but we know that's not going to happen. <laughs> that's definitely a sermon. Um, but even I would like to actually, for the, maybe just in terms of the uh, people who would be listening to this over, over on the podcast or the Internet, just to read those words of the, of the Covenant um, once again. I am no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Position me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly give all things to your pleasure and disposal, willingly offering all I have and am to serve you as and where you choose. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. May it be so forever. And that this covenant now made on earth be fulfilled in heaven. Amen. Beautiful words those are. And I trust that you will take them home and, and read them and keep them. If we read them every day or we or we even read them twice a week, it would have a profound effect on our on our faithfulness as each day we renew that covenant to God. And with that in mind, I want to Go, uh just finish off the last of the sermon series of five basic things that explain what the covenant means. As we have uh, been preparing for this covenant service over the last four weeks, we have looked at different topics. To say, when we are being faithful to God, what, is our li- what do our lives look like? There are lives that, are, that prioritize worship, meeting together and praising God. There are lives that prioritize prayer that prioritizes service and prioritizes giving. And tonight we look at the fact that it prioritizes fellowship. It prioritizes meeting together with other Christians. Fellowship can really be defined uh, not only in terms of Christianity but as an association of people who share uh, common interests. And obviously for us in the Christian context, fellowship revolves around our shared uh, relationship with God. It revolves around meeting with other Christians where, where time is taken to delve into spiritual things, whether that be singing together, whether it be studying a Bible passage, whether it be talking through spiritual matters of faith and life, whether it just be connecting and finding joy in something that God has done in our lives, whether it is for support and strength for one another as we journey through difficulties. All of these moments of togetherness are fellowship and are vital to being faithful Christians. In the Alpha course, Nicky Gumbel uses the well-known illustration of, uh, of, a, of a coal that's burning in a fire. And if you imagine a beautiful fire and the red-hot coals that are glowing in the middle, and he, he says, just in terms of indicating the value of friendship, if you take a tongs and you take one of those red-hot glowing coals and you move it outside of that fire, within 10 minutes... That coal will lose its shine, it'll become black, it'll go cold. In 10 minutes you can actually pick it up. It will have lost so much heat that you can touch it with your hands and, uh, and handle that piece of coal. If you take that same coal and simply put it back into the center of the fire, within 30 seconds it is glowing red hot again, absolutely beautiful and alive and, and all the rest of it. And the, the analogy is is really simple when it comes to fellowship, that that we, as Christians, when when we meet together, we have the sense of 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 aliveness, where we feed off the spirituality of one another, where the beauty of what God is doing in one another's lives energizes and ignites a sense of faithfulness. When we remove ourselves from that fellowship, slowly that fire begins to die. We we lose that sense of. Of, um, of aliveness in christ because it's something we feed off when we're together the amazing thing about that coal is nothing physically changes in its composition we don't alter the chemical composition of that lump of coal we don't do anything except change its geographical location we simply remove it from the other coals and it doesn't matter which coal you move any coal would have the same effect but somehow when they are all together they glow brightly and that is the beauty of fellowship. So many times, as I shared in the first uh, sermon in the series, people have said to me, oh, you can, you can be a Christian without going to church, and absolutely you can. You can also run a marathon without wearing any shoes, but why on earth would you want to do it? It is so much easier putting on the shoes and doing the marathon. It is so much easier being a Christian, when we are connected together, when we share and feed off the the beauty of God working in one another's lives. So, for the Christian, the the fellowship is essential uh, to our faithfulness. We we grow off one another's spirituality, and when one is down, another is up, and we help each other along. And being part of fellowship is also having a place where we get to to chat about things with one another, where we find that the Holy Spirit guides us through the words that are spoken through other Christians. It's also a place where we get to be accountable and where we know we are prayed for and where we know we are loved. It really does keep the fire of our faith alive. You only have to focus on that reading that Megan did for us in the early church, the beginning of the church, and hear how important fellowship was for them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All of the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to those who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They praised God and enjoyed the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So how does, this, uh, how does fellowship make this sense of keeping the covenant alive? How does it happen in our lives? Well, in two ways. It happens firstly because fellowship creates a time and place to, to know people and to be known by people. Fellowship creates a time and place to know people and to be known by people. Um, you know that I came from Durban in South Africa. We lived there for 10 years, and Durban has a unique distinction. It has the largest population of Indians outside of India. That is a distinction of the city of Durban. They came; uh, they were brought across from India by the uh, British colonialists. They came as slaves uh, initially to to cut the sugarcane. And um, they have obviously uh, settled there in, in Durban and made it made it home. The net result of the of the move is that if you want the most amazing curry in South Africa, you go to Durban. That's where the best curries are made. That's where um, the Indian speciality really uh, comes into its own. The reason I mention this is because they they have funny names for their curries. So in South Africa, you can have something called a bunny chow, which is a hollowed-out loaf of bread filled with curry on the inside. It's a delicious thing. But but you make it with specifically named curries, and the curries are named for the level of heat that they generate in your mouth. So you may... (laughs) If you... If, you, uh, if you're not wanting to have a very hot curry at all, you can have something called a baby's breath. You can buy, you know, that's self-ex- self-explanatory baby's breath curry. It's, it's just lovely. If you want up to up your game a little bit more, you can buy a curry called mother-in-law's tongue. That's, uh, <laughs> that starts to get a bit serious. If you want to go even hotter, you can get something called wife's revenge. And uh, that's pretty good. And then, and then there's then there's the real, really burning, burny stuff. And uh, this is the kind of stuff. And I, I didn't say it in the morning service, but I'll say this: it it burns as much going in as it does going out. It is uh, it is a horrendous, horrendous. And my you know my personal favourite is uh, is a curry called frozen toilet roll. That uh, you you got to put the toilet roll into the freezer before you have this curry. That's how hot it is. One of the, one of the other funny names for, uh, for the curry was um, our local supermarket started making these little chili bites. And they actually called them hangover cures. The theory behind it was you, when you ate one of these little chili bites, if you had a hangover... By the time you finish this chili bite, you have forgotten every other kind of pain your body has. You are cured of every other ailment because you are only focused on the pain that is in your mouth, this little hangover cure. They were delicious little things, soaked in chutney, vinegar, balsamic. It was just amazing. Now, I um, I had gone over to the supermarket one day after a wedding. I had done this wedding, decided I wanted some of these little hangover cures, and I was wearing my collar at the time. And I went and I said to the lady, please can I get uh, some of the hangover cures? And she thought this was hilarious that uh, a minister would want to cure his hangover. And uh, I, as much as I try to explain to her, I don't actually have a hangover, I just like the little things, she just didn't get it. She thought it was so funny that, that I would want these things. A couple of days later, I went back to the supermarket to replenish supplies this time I wasn't wearing my collar and, uh, and I went, and it was the same lady at the counter and I, I asked her again for those hangover cures. She didn't recognize me, but she leans in and she kind of like, like she's telling me some juicy little piece of, of gossip and she says to me, do you know the other day a man of the cloth came in? And bought some hangover cures. He said he didn't have a hangover, but he bought a lot of them anyway. <laughs> a man of the cloth, she says, and sniggers to herself as she continues to serve me, not realizing that she's speaking to the very same man of the cloth from two days ago. But then this is the part that really tickled me. She leans in and she says, <laughs> says to me, And do you know what? And I said, What? Waiting for this, she says, he seemed quite normal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I found it a little. I didn't tell her it was me. It was just more fun that way. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that this man of the cloth must have seemed really strange to her. Must have seemed really odd, and uh, maybe Christians in general seemed odd. And from that, this kind of thought process started to develop and appreciation started to come into the fact that that even though I may be odd, there is a place where I am known and loved. And that place is in the fellowship of the family of God. And actually, when you think about it, we're all a little bit odd. We all have our own idiosyncrasies. We all have our own uh, little things that make us who we are. That's what makes us unique. But we also have a place where we are loved for who we are. We have a church that says, come as you are. Come and be part of a fellowship. Come and worship a God who loves you just so. And come and be part of people who accept you just as you are. Come to a place where you can be known and where you can know others. And where the love of God will be uh, demonstrated in your life. I cannot tell you how many people I've bumped into in the visits that we've done, in the pastoral moments that we've shared, who have said to me, do you know, I belong to this church because I walked in here and I felt at home. I felt loved. I felt accepted. Nobody judged me for anything. And that is a truly beautiful part of fellowship. It is an amazing aspect of fellowship That, strange as we may seem. We are loved and we are cared for. And we are known, and it is only fellowship that creates that. Having supper after a, after a twilight service, it's a wonderful time to connect. It's not the only reason we have it. It's not just a, a a reason to eat, although that's part of it. It's a reason to know people and be known by people, to connect with one another, to be part of. fellowship it is such a beautiful aspect of the of the Christian life that we often forget it and when we don't when we when we take ourselves out of that fellowship when we don't uh, give the opportunity to know and be known we lose one of the most beautiful aspects of the Christian faith fellowship creates that part where we can know the love of God through other people where we can be known for who we are and where we can express that love as well. But fellowship also, uh, it, it kindles those fires of faithfulness because it creates time to appreciate. One of the greatest obstacles to faithfulness is time, or a lack thereof, should I say. I don't know a single person who isn't exceptionally busy. And all of that busyness causes us to rush around and sometimes miss really beautiful moments. Fellowship is the thing that causes us to pause and to reflect and to enjoy spiritual moments. As Shauna and Val both shared for us uh, from this time in Ignite, just a moment to pause and to, to share something of, of spiritual moments that God is doing. It is fellowship that gives us that pause. There was an incredible uh, experiment done in the United States in 2007 in the Washington, D.C. subway station, the metro station. It was a cold January morning, and uh, and a man went down into the station, and he played uh, a violin. He played Bach on the violin for about an hour. And during that time, I don't know how many thousands of people passed him. It was a specific sp- experiment set up by the Washington Post, and uh, and this man played absolutely flawlessly beautiful on on his violin and they wanted they filmed what was happening as he was playing people were all rushing to work all busy to get things done and nobody really paid him any attention it was five minutes before uh before anybody noticed that somebody was playing in any uh playing anything at all and and one person kind of slowed their pace Uh, Stopped for a second but then hurried on to meet their schedule A few minutes later he earned his first dollar Some woman walked past and threw money into his hat without even stopping And just carried on going onto the train Some more minutes passed and and a little kid tried to stop his mom And pulled back and wanted to listen to the violinist But the mother tugged him along hurriedly And and, uh, and the kid just kind of had to go along uh, with her all the time, the action was repeated over and over, people hardly even taking a breath uh, to pause and notice this violin uh, being played. After f- after an hour's uh, worth of playing, only six people had actually stopped to listen for a little while, it had moved, none had stayed longer than a couple of minutes. Only 20 people had uh, given money, but they had given it and, and walked on, The violinist had earned a a whopping great total of $32. uh, $32. He finished playing the Bach masterpieces and uh, packed up his violin. Nobody applauded, nobody uh, said anything, There there was no recognition at all. The interesting part of the experiment was that the violinist was a man by the name of Joshua Bell. You can, you can Google him. You'll see he's one of the most sort of celebrated violinists in America. And uh, he had played absolutely perfectly some of the most intricate uh, pieces that had ever been written. He had played them on a Stradivarius violin that was worth I don't know how many million dollars, and yet no one had stopped to listen. No one had stopped to take any time uh, to take it in. The funny thing was... The experiment that the Washington Post had run was that the night before, Joshua Bell had played to a sold-out theater in exactly the same area. He had sold tickets at an average price of $150 each. He played to the same people who were walking past him in the subway, and he played the exact same music. It was the same repertoire that he had played at the concert that he played in the subway and um, in in the metro station and literally nobody had even uh, noticed it the when he had finished at the concert he had received a standing ovation he got encores, and and uh, they wanted to hear more when he finished in the subway he got nothing at all people had just walked past the illustration can be used in so many different ways but In terms of tonight's sermon, I think it signifies something of the fact that when busyness consumes us, we miss the beauty of moments that happen right next to us. We miss the beauty of things that are taking place around us. And fellowship is the thing that causes us to pause. Meeting with friends and discussing spiritual matters, sharing moments of faith, listening to one another's stories, hearing from somebody else, maybe just the words of them saying, wow, God's really speaking in that sense. Or maybe you hear God's voice talking in another way. It is fellowship that causes that pause. It is fellowship that brings those moments of appreciation and clarity of what God is doing in our lives. It is fellowship that that fires those things up within us. There are many times when I have gotten home after an evening service and thought about the sharing time of of what's being said and suddenly realized to myself, wow, as that person has spoken, it triggered something in my mind of what God may be doing within me or prayers that have been answered that I have prayed. It is fellowship that causes the pause. It is fellowship that fires up that faithfulness. It can take a whole lot of different forms from what we do here to Bible study to worship groups to prayer meetings to, to supper after twilight service to having coffee on Tuesday morning or Tuesday afternoon at James's place to simply maybe meeting with another Christian where, where we end up talking about spiritual things or focusing on spiritual matters. Every time we meet with another Christian and share around Ideas of faith or aspects of our spirituality, that is fellowship. But together with those other four items of prayer, worship, service, and giving, it's the five things that enable us to be faithful to the promise we make when we say to God, I am no longer my own, but yours. These are the things that we promise to do. These are the things that should characterize the life of faithfulness. Worship, prayer, service, giving, and fellowship. And I pray that as we make this covenant, that as we journey through the year, those will be five things that characterize our own spiritual journeys with God. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for the beauty of fellowship, for the wonder of connection with one another, for the sense, Lord, of knowing that it is in meeting with one another that we are known and loved, that we find a place to connect, that we get opportunity to pause, that we hear the voice of your Spirit speaking, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the fellowship that even exists within this group of people tonight, for the beauty of friendship, for the, the time shared and the, and the things of faith that are spoken, for prayers that are prayed and, and the family of God that bandies together around one another. We pray, Lord God, that this fellowship may continue to be a priority for each of us in this coming year. That along with the other aspects of faithfulness that we have looked at, that these things will be hallmarks of our covenant, hallmarks of our relationship with you and our faithfulness and desire to serve you and to know you more. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. If you'll follow with me the covenant liturgy, which is on the screen. We remember God's invitation. Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In response to your invitation, Jesus, we come to you. With our burdens and our treasures, we come to you. With our anxieties and aspirations, we come to you, longing to live a life of value and meaning, but with nothing but ourselves to give. We come to you and seek to take up your yoke. Amen. If you are able, would you please stand? In the old covenant, God chose Israel to be his people and to obey his laws. Our Lord Jesus Christ, by his death and resurrection, has made a new covenant with all who trust in him. We stand within this covenant and we bear his name. On the one side, God promises in this covenant to give us new life in Christ. On the other side, we are pledged to live no more for ourselves but for him. Today we meet as generations of Christians have met to renew the covenant which bound them and binds us to God. Sisters and brothers, we are joined together in our quest to follow Christ. God has invited us into the family of God, into a covenant, a lifelong commitment with Christ. To accept this invitation is to claim for ourselves the grace, the love, and the promises of God. But it is also to take up the yoke of Christ, to commit all of our energy and resources to God's purposes. Some of the things God calls us to do are easy, and some are difficult. Sometimes we will enjoy great benefit, and sometimes we will endure great sacrifice. Sometimes following Christ gains us respect and honor. And sometimes it leads to rejection and criticism whatever life may hold though we have learnt that it is best faced with our hands firmly clasped in that of Jesus and with our hearts filled with God's strength and courage so let us renew our commitment to God and to God's ways let us trust in God's firm grasp of us and not in our weak grasp of God therefore let us make this covenant with God our own let us give ourselves anew to him Trusting in His promise and relying on His grace. Would you please be seated? <clears throat> Let us pray. God of comforting, loving, challenging invitations, we again we hear again your call to join ourselves with you. We recognize your generous offer of yourself and your desire for us to give ourselves to you in return. So now we take up your yoke and acknowledge you as our authority, our frame of reference, our source of life, strength, and direction. The life of our Savior Jesus Christ as our yardstick for morality and ethics, and the final word in every thought, action, and relationship. We take upon ourselves with joy the yoke of obedience, and for the love of you engage ourselves to seek and do your perfect will. We are no longer our own, but yours. We pray the covenant prayer together. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Position me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly give all things to your pleasure and disposal, willingly offering all I have and am, to serve you as and where you choose. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. May it be so forever, and let this covenant now made on earth be fulfilled in heaven. Amen. We spend a few moments in silent prayer. We sing together the table as we come to prepare for Holy Communion and cement